Get ready to explore faith, doubt, and all that's in between. Welcome to Doubting It with Charlotte Pence Bond. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to the Doubting It podcast with Charlotte Pence Bond. That's me. Um, I'm really excited today. We're going to have a guest on the show that I actually have not met before and really got connected with through researching for this podcast. Um, his name is Kent Annan, and he's really great. He teaches at Wheaton College currently and kind of teaches this program to master students on humanitarian work um, for people that want to go into disaster aid and relief after uh, after college. But they are doing it with a faith perspective, which I thought was pretty interesting. He's also written three books. Um, so his books are on a couple different topics. They're on how we basically do justice and walk in the world as Christians. That one is called Slow Kingdom Coming. Um, he also has one called Aftershock, which talks about how you basically still search for your faith even after bad things happen. And then his, I believe his most recent book, his other book is called You Welcomed Me. And it's about refugees and immigrants and how we as Christians are meant to love refugees and immigrants and are meant to help them as well. And how, and it's cool, Kent and I, I won't talk too much about what we talked about, so you'll listen to it. But we talk a little bit about this and about how the what the church's role is in disaster times. Um, and we're kind of in a weird bit of a bit of a disaster time right now which we also get into and basically how how the church can can respond to those situations and can respond even on just an individual level it doesn't have to be a church like corporate thing i mean we can help people in our communities on a one-on-one -on -one level and so i'm excited for this interview i hope that you enjoy it if you want to learn more about kent um you can go to kentannan.com that's annan is a-n-n-a-n and you can kind of learn more about what he does there and just be inspired by that a little bit as I was as well with this interview. All right. Well, welcome to Kent Annan. Thank you so much for uh, joining me today. I'm really excited about our conversation. Thanks, Charlie. Great to be with you. I, I really appreciate this theme that you're stepping into. I look forward to this conversation, also to hearing other conversations you have. Thank you. Thanks. Yeah, it's been really fun so far. I think I've I've learned a lot, I think, and it's kind of challenged me as well. And when I was kind of looking up people to talk to and interview, um, your name came up um, for some of the stuff that you've written in recent books and things that you've done, humanitarian work, which we'll get into, um, which is really cool, especially from just a faith perspective. But first, I wanted to let you introduce yourself and talk about who you are, but also in doing that, just talk about your faith journey, your personal faith journey a little bit. Yeah, so I'm, uh, my current role is I'm at Wheaton College in the Humanitarian Disaster Institute. I'm Director of Humanitarian and Disaster Leadership. It's a lot of syllables to say I'm working with master's degree students who are going into humanitarian and disaster work, you know, if it's something like World Vision or working for the government with FEMA or, or kind of grassroots organizations with refugees and in the U.S. and around the world. So that's what I do now. But the kind of faith path that took me here. I grew up in a Christian home. My dad's a pastor. 
Um, so kind of grew up in the church. I think at the time thought too much in the church, you know, before the service started, staying long after the service started until we got to go home. And, uh, and that faith became more personal as I got older and into high school. As I was following Jesus, then it really became for me intertwined of following Jesus and uh, and trying to grow in my faith, but also asking lots of questions like you're talking about in this podcast. And that sort of that combined question asking, I think with my wanting to love my neighbor, you know, led me to this humanitarian work. So for me, it's been the work, but my faith journey has very much been, okay, this is what I think I believe, but does, does that make sense if I go to another country where there's a lot of suffering or does that make mm-hmm. sense in the conversation with refugees who have just lost everything. I never wanted to believe in a God that was just like a a God of my kind of little segment of American evangelical Christianity. But I I wanted to really, you know, let questions in and and let the the challenges of reality in the world uh, step into that base so it could could grow. And that's really been the journey for uh, decades now. Yeah, that's awesome. So when you kind of when you decided, did you always know you wanted to go into humanitarian work or was it kind of after you, you know, were kind of in school and doing things with it? Yeah, it was more like on a business and politics track in undergrad. And then we had a family friend who worked in kind of missions and development work. And he said, oh, come just try this for two years after college. Mm -hmm. And I thought, okay, that'll be a fun adventure for two years. And 27 years later, (laughs) uh, here I am still. That's cool. Yeah, well, you know, you talk about how, you don't want to keep, you know, your faith in this little bubble. How, but then that, I mean, taking it out of that bubble obviously adds a lot of, you know, controversy or strife or whatever have it. I mean, you're, I feel like faith is tested in situations like that, especially have you kind of experienced that and like, in what ways has it strengthened your faith or have you questioned your faith through seeing these, these hard things? Yeah, I think it's done both. It's uh, kind of strengthened it and seeing God uh, alive in my own life and in life uh, in the lives of other people. You know, refugees was a really big influence on me in my er- early kind of work. And then uh, my wife and I moved to Haiti after I finished grad school, and we lived out in a village. You know, no running water, no electricity, tin roof over our heads, and shared a room with a subsistence farming family. And they didn't speak any English. We didn't speak any Creole. We did that for seven months, and then moved closer to Port-au-Prince. And, and so I felt like, you know, as I'm reading scripture and being able to see it through, uh, you know, so in some, one sense, I felt like it's a great question. Yeah. So in one sense, I feel like the suffering, you know, which for many of us, like that's a, a, an area of doubt is like, how does God let this suffering happen? So I, I think I've gone through phases of doubt and anger, kind of like the psalmist, like, where are you, God? How long, oh Lord, until you do something about this? So I've had parts of that. And then I also had experience of you know, sitting with people whose whose lives by any kind of external measure are really hard. And I'm sitting on a dirt floored church, reading scripture and praying with them. And so I felt like this mm-hmm. same way it was getting sort of torn down to its essence of kind of trust in Christ. And, uh, and, and then in this other, it felt like sort of falling apart in other ways. In other ways, it was getting a lot stronger, mm-hmm. you know, as I was having these experiences. It's crazy. I've written a book about it and experienced it and thought about it a ton. And it still can be hard to, you know, capture it in a few words. Um, but yeah. but I think both both of the things you talked about have been happening have happened to me. Yeah, well, it's interesting because I mean, and you kind of talk about being with other people and other believers and kind of having it strengthened when you're going through these hard times. How 
did you have like were there times though when you were isolated in any way either like as a christian or physically um at least being in these other countries and doing humanitarian work yeah i think there are times of like when I was doing that that work, I was with my wife. That helped us to sort of mm-hmm. encourage each other. But there are also, you know, times of loneliness, and it can always be, you know, it's it's you're you're lonely, and then you're even you the two of you were struggling because you're there's so much stress around you. So I wrote about that in my book, following Jesus through the eye of the needle. You know that it's it's uh, you know good stress. So it was good for us to remember that sometimes it was the circumstances causing these problems and <laughs> not not us. Yeah. Um, but no, definitely times, and I feel like, you know, sometimes now still, but especially early, kind of early and in my 20s, you know, the, the sense of loneliness of like asking these questions and feeling isolated and wait, and wait, are my, is who else is feeling the same doubts or the same questions or struggling in the same way I have. And then for me, doing humanitarian work and then coming back to the U.S., and this isn't, a lot of people have this experience of kind of culture shock, or reverse culture shock, they call it sometimes, but going mm-hmm. and kind of wrestling with these questions and doubts and then coming back and, and friends or colleagues or neighbors, you know, wouldn't have had that same kind of experience. Mm-hmm. So they're, they're, they were asking different questions and their questions weren't better or worse than mine, but theirs were different because I'd just gone through this really intense experience where I moved to Kosovo and Albania kind of during the war in Kosovo and I was working with refugees and I'd come back and life kind of continuing normal for them. And meanwhile, I'm having a sort of existential crisis. So that definitely you know, has been lonely and struggling at times. And I think having friends, having the Psalms, you know, having church, it helps. But, you know, it's all, not always uh, a, a total answer or doesn't, doesn't kind of preclude you from feeling isolated at times. Yeah, no, definitely. I experienced that a little bit, actually, when I I went on kind of a, a mission trip in college for about a week, and we went to Columbia. And um, it really, it wasn't like a religious mission trip. It was like we were just volunteering there. Yeah. And I came back, and yeah, I definitely had like a while. And it was around the Christmas season that I had come back. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's obviously very materialistic, and that's just yeah. – our tradition really. Yeah. And I was, uh, I was very like uncomfortable with all the stuff I'd learned about, you know, how it had right. impacted these communities. Or I remember I bought everything like fair trade that yeah. uh, year for Christmas. And I buy a lot of that still, but, but even then I kind of talked to, to people about it and friends and family members who had also gone on a trip like that and said that they experienced the same thing when they came back. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. And what for you, like I know for me and it's some other people I've known, like that first step back into a grocery store, you know, or, or a department, like there are these different things that are just like, well, these two worlds don't make sense together, that it's one world, but it's so different. Yeah. No, yeah. Wait, did you, did you have the, you have those kind of experiences when you came yeah, back? Yeah, I did. And I, and a lot of it too was like, um, the just, ability to buy things so quickly and get them so you know like for me it was almost more uh like being able to just go buy something like a t-shirt or something and not know how that's affecting someone else like we were in Mm -hmm. columbia in this area where there were like trash sheep communities and literally there were just garbage dumps and people lived there but they had, I mean, they'd made this whole community. They had a mayor and they had like irrigation systems and all these things. So we were looking at it in that way of not like poor you, but what you've done with all of this, but it was Mm -hmm. definitely difficult then to come back and think how I would be contributing to it or how I haven't had that experience and why not, why was I born here and not there? Right. Exactly. Yeah. No, I really resonate with that as well. Yeah. And then everything just feels stuff that we kind of 
take for granted or easy decisions, you sort of realize the the complexity and sort of weight weight of them. You know what we buy and how we how we shop, yeah. all these different things too. Yeah, absolutely. When you're teaching at Wheaton, do you talk to students about this, or to talk? Do you talk to them? I guess about at least how their faith might be impacted going into this kind of thing. Are they trained for that too? How's that done? Yeah, that's part of it. Like one example, I do our, our very first week together, like as we're starting, um, kind of we're, we're talking about these difficult subjects and poverty and human trafficking and and disasters. And so uh, one of the tools I kind of give them that I've learned is how to write a psalm. So I, I kind of take through a, an experience like over 45 minutes or an hour and sort of walk them through like the different uh, different elements of what happens in the Psalms and the Bible. And we can express our doubt really honestly, Psalm 13, how long, O Lord. Uh, and then you can move through uh, questioning and move through like anger at evil and suffering, and then ultimately moving through these different steps of, of gratitude and praise. So that's one of the tools uh, I, I give them and encourage them to do kind of during the year and then hopefully take forward with them just as an example that, uh, mm. that doing that and going with the theme of, of your podcast of, doing that rather than sort of bottling it up and pretending like some of that doubt or questions or anger at injustice that it isn't there. I found that's not healthy in my own life. You know, mm -hmm. so I want to encourage students like going through that and, and having these tools and having, that's just one of, of many examples uh, along the way can help us to like the subtitle of my book. That's kind of about faith and doubt, like searching for honest faith when your world is shaken. Like if you're, mm -hmm. If you're alive, your world is probably shaken. Sometimes if you're stepping into humanitarian work, your world is definitely going to be shaken as you work with others who are vulnerable and suffering. And so I think taking an honest approach to faith is a really healthy way to, to do things. Yeah. And how how has your faith been shaken? I mean, I know you were talking earlier and kind of generally like the stress of the situations. Is there Were there specific encounters early on or maybe not even early on, maybe that are more recent that you know, you do, it did make you question your faith or, um, you know, go to God about these issues that are, don't seem fair. Yeah. I think the early ones were just sort of the, well, people were like these people who were like, had been headlines, like were, were friends who were like refugees from Sierra Leone or from Sarajevo and things back when I was getting started. So that was, that triggered the kind of early questions in wrestling. But for me, the biggest one uh, you asked, like, uh, kind of shook me up. And I've been doing this kind of work for a long time already was uh, the Haiti earthquake in 2010. So mm -hmm. I'd been down, I'd already, my wife and I lived in Haiti for two and a half years. I was, I'd started with a colleague, an NGO. I was going back and forth to Haiti all the time. So I wasn't there when it was happening. I, I got down six days afterwards. But to see this place that I loved, where so many people are faithful, where I had a motorcycle driver who I knew all the time, we were on the back of his motorcycle to find out when uh, we were pregnant with my daughter, mm -hmm. uh, he kind of both my wife and I on the back of he was driving the motorcycle, the two of us behind went to and from the appointment. So he, oh. he was out driving, but he, he had like, a, I can't remember exactly, like a sister and a brother and a bunch of people in his church were in a prayer meeting and the building collapsed, like the church collapsed in an earthquake, mm -hmm. 100, 150 people died. So uh, the epicenter mm -hmm. is right close to where we had lived. So to see people who were already both faithful and suffering in so many ways to then take on the weight of this, uh, this, you know, hundreds of hundred thousand estimates between know, at least a hundred thousand, maybe 300,000 people dying, mm -hmm. the suffering that ripples out in that place. You know, that that's where I, I 
I, I kind of say in my book, Aftershock, I'm sort of writing that as a psalm to to see mm-hmm. if I still believed, you know, in the midst of it. So I think that's that's sort of the most maybe the, like six months of writing that book kind of real time as I was helping to respond to that uh, yeah. was definitely one of the most intense times of my wrestling with these questions. Yeah, you know, and the Psalms have come up in other conversations with people that I've had. And I think that mm. they are encouraging because, and I've actually been reading through them and like I'm restarting reading through them now. Mm. But I think it it's it does kind of help to read those because a lot of the Psalms don't, they're not happy ending, you know, they're just mm-hmm. like upset with God. And I think that that's, like, I mean, your book's subtitled The the Honest Faith, you know, being Mm -hmm. honest about how how things are affecting you or the questions that are coming up. Do you think, so I wanted to ask also, you have another book called Slow Kingdom Coming. And that kind of caught my eye as well, because I think that, you know, doing, whether it's humanitarian work or whether it's volunteering in communities or whether it's whatever Mm -hmm. you're doing, if you're a teacher, you know, you do see these hard things and have to ask questions Mm. about why does God allow this to happen? And Mm. I I think that's a big question, at least for a lot of people who are not Christians of Mm. if there's a God, which I'm sure you've gotten this a ton. Why, why does he allow this to happen? What's your answer to that question? Yeah, I think my, I, yeah, it's theologians have been doing this for thousands of years. So no, (laughs) so unfortunately I haven't come up with the the answer, (laughs) but I, I do feel like we, um, like wrestling with it is a, is a good way to be faithful. We see that in the Psalms and other kind of other parts of the scripture. Um, I, I also feel like it was sort of, we asked the question like, God, why do you let this suffering um, happen? And instead of a God who sort of keeps his suffering from happening, we get a God, especially in, in Jesus, uh, we get a God who's with us in the suffering. So we want to say, why is suffering? And there are, there are theological answers, but I think the important answer, kind of what I've held on to is um, we don't have a God who prevents suffering, but we do have a God who's with us in suffering. Mm. Um, and, and and for me, that's a, a profound answer, you know, that yeah. we have uh, Christ who went to the cross, that we have the hope of resurrection, that we're not left alone in, in the suffering. And I think I've experienced that other people have even in the, the questions like this presence uh, that we can have the faithful cloud of witnesses, people have kind of had God's presence with them mm-hmm. before. So, um, so I think it sort of tweaks the question that you asked slightly, but I, I think for me that so that sort of changing of that question and answer of God, not preventing suffering, but God being with us in suffering. It's probably been what I've, I've learned, uh, learned most along the way. Yeah, that's, that's really true. And I think that the hard, you know, part of it is you, go through suffering to experience that in a way, right? Like you, or Mm -hmm. you see it and you have to, you have to witness it. And that obviously is extremely challenging in its own way. And -hmm. I think, you know, a lot of, I mean, a lot of people now, you know, in this, even just this past year have experienced suffering and also, you know, unexpected suffering, I think, which, Mm -hmm. I mean, not that any suffering is expected, but when things kind of come out of nowhere or your routine is completely upended and you have to kind of, you know, face whatever was maybe underneath that you're putting off. I think that can definitely be really challenging. 
I think too, like um, it's a slightly different kind of suffering, but watching other people suffering, you know, so even yeah. as like during this past mm-hmm. year, watching so many different uh, people suffering or having friends who are African-American, you know, during this time and just a community mm-hmm. that's kind of suffering and feeling pain. So it's, we never want to, you know, say like, their pain is my pain or something, but uh, of mm-hmm. empathy or of, of having a family member who's having cancer or doing all this, like we want to feel that pain to kind of lead us through uh, into to empathy and ultimately to love you know, as well. Right. Yeah, no, yeah. it's very true. Yeah. And I think too, yeah, I mean, it's, it is interesting because I think there's so many different ways where empathy is not the same as sympathy and like sympathy can almost be detrimental in a way of just feeling like Mm -hmm. it doesn't do anything for you to pity me or in my suffering. Um, But then empathy, yeah, it it is you coming alongside and it's that idea of having a God that is going to come alongside you too. And whatever you're going through, you're not going to be alone while you're doing it. You're listening to the Edify Podcast Network. We'll be right back. This podcast is part of the Edify Podcast Network. Edify is a faith-inspiring app that brings together thousands of the best Christian podcasts in one place for your listening enjoyment. Cut through the noise and grow your faith by diving into the world's top Christian podcasts today. Download the Edify app for free from the App Store or Google Play or by going to edify.app. That's E-D-I-F-I dot app. This is the Edify Podcast Network. Welcome back. I did also want to ask about your uh, book on refugees and immigrants in the U.S. So can you tell us a little bit about what inspired you to write this? Obviously, other than political, you know, uh, unrest in the country. But what kind of made you decide to, to, to write this book? Yeah, I, I really like how you said that about, you said it well about the kind of difference between sympathy and empathy there. I think that was part of it. Like, I, I uh, you know, as the conversation was coming up more in our society and this divide within the church was coming that hadn't been there before as much, you know, there tended to be more like sort of, okay, yes, yeah, so we help refugees. There's a little bit more disagreement on immigrant immigrants or immigration, less difference on refugees. Like that's increased. And I just thought, oh, I've been like in my life, like hopefully I've helped, but also I've been so grateful for the refugees I've known, the difference that made in my life. And then what you said about empathy is so one of the chapter titles in there is uh, mm-hmm. that could be me. And so mm-hmm. I think that's one of the switches that happened to me in my early 20s was, oh, this guy I know who left everything behind, came from Sierra Leone, left a civil war, maybe his family died. Like, man, like that's like, the, it's, it doesn't take much difference that, that our roles are reversed. You know, what, what, nothing that I did, you know, have yeah. me in this situation and him and that one. So it was really thinking about that and then thinking, oh, we want to be t- discipled in the way of love. And I just think, um, uh, like, I, I so care for refugees I've known, people who have run away. Mm-hmm. And then that question of loving your neighbor as yourself, I think, man, if, if I were in that situation, if something that happened to me and my daughter, my son were in that situation, like, I would hope and want people to, you know, be welcoming and nervous their political realities, like their complications. I'm not saying it, it's easy on the issues, but I tell the story of my son 
we were wrestling, I think it was nine at the time. And he said, you know, we're wrestling. And then I, he knew I was writing on this book and I tell, tell him about the book and he doesn't really care. You know, he just wants to <laughs> wrestle and, and fight. And then he kind of paused when I told him I was doing this book. And he said, wait, dad, refugees. Because I said, you know what I'm writing about? He says, yeah, yeah, yeah. I say, wait, dad. And he paused and said, wait, dad, are we for them or against them? I thought, mm-hmm. oh, there are lots of complications, but I don't think that's complicated. Like we're yeah. for them because the story of God is a story being for the orphan, for the widow, for the person who's kind of mm-hmm. sojourning and people. And so, so to me, that was the book was the book was about was saying, oh, we're for them. And it doesn't answer all the hard questions, but I think it's a big question that we should answer uh, affirmatively. Yeah, definitely. And especially, yeah, there's all obviously complications and political stuff, but as Christians, it's almost like that, like you said, that question this shouldn't really be a question in a way, you know, it should be, okay, yes, we're, no matter what else is going on, it is the role of the church to, you know, step in, in this scenario and help out maybe. Well, how do you think the church can do better with that? Or what is your kind of uh, call in the, in the book? Yeah. The call in the book is sort of multiple knowing their, like their politics, but I think it's like being welcoming locally. Like how can we help people who, our locals, like I've worked with uh, my colleague Jamie Aiton and others here at the Humanitarian Disaster Institute to write different response manuals to help churches through COVID-19. You know, mm-hmm. and so one of the things that we would make sure we would do in there is just like tell churches, hey, as you're going through this, like it's stressful, like we're all facing this thing we've never faced in our lifetimes before a pandemic. And so one of the things we did was just was to have reminders, hey, are, are there any like refugees or a local immigrant community, mm-hmm. you know, that need help? They might not be getting all the information they need. They might be extra uh, kind of food insecure, like have uh, food issues so our food banks can help them out. So I think to me, like on a local level, you know, that's one of the the big issues that we can do just as lo- you asked about local churches. So as local churches uh, mm-hmm. and thinking specifically about this time, you know, who in our community, and that can be older adults, like refugees is just one of the categories, like recent refugees, but older yeah. adults, people with other things. I, I think that's one of the things we always want to be doing as a church, and especially in disasters, uh, is who's most vulnerable. And then disasters usually make whoever is vulnerable even more vulnerable, right. you know, all the research shows. So then I, I think that's a good good answer kind of for, for local churches. Yeah, you know, and it's really true. It is true about COVID that this is kind of this global disaster in a way that we have this pandemic. And I mean, we've definitely seen it impact vulnerable people, whether they're vulnerable because of their health or because of their situation. And even, you know, I know a lot of people have started kind of talking about being concerned about a lot of, you know, kids that are maybe in um, communities or situations where their, you know, food was going to school. And, you know, we have, there's so many organizations that are doing a lot with that, but, and, and the church as well. And I think that is kind of, that is the role of the church to step in, in some of these scenarios, like you said, and just to say who's being overlooked maybe, um, and how can we help? I know my church has done a lot of like neighbor outreach or like volunteers calling, um, you know, members oh, yeah. of the church community who are older right. that they know maybe no one's checking on them, you know, just to make sure that we're taking care of everybody. Yeah, that's great. I'll send you something afterwards. Um, but there, we've developed my colleagues to kind of research this for like 12 years. We just released it um that a team worked on but it's this blessed method but it's basically how to check in with people mm. and and after disasters and covid sort of you know like you said sort of fits in this weird way but it fits in mm. and it's like checking in with people on their 
BLESS stands for their belonging needs, their livelihood needs, which is like economic, um, emotional needs, like of isolation and things, mm. safety needs, are they like domestic violence or suicide risk, and then mm. spiritual needs as well, because faith, like you know, the whole theme here today, can, can see us through these crises, but, um, but very much checking in with people who are vulnerable in, in any of these uh, five ways, I think, is, is a really important role that the church has in a time like this or after any kind of disaster. Yeah, no, absolutely. What is kind of next for you? I'm curious. I mean, did you have things that were canceled, any humanitarian like trips or anything like that? How has COVID impacted what you guys are doing? I know. I, 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 I love it with my family. I mean, there's like loving something. I guess you have to find like the silver linings and in, in how bad mm-hmm. all of this is. But, uh, yeah. you know, I don't think I've gone in, in decades, like gone this long without traveling. So there's something yeah. nice about like the family, you know, just sort of being isolated as a family. So we really pivoted mm-hmm. from other projects. We kept doing what we're doing. We're still like students coming to our master's degree program, which is fantastic. But we've created a lot of resources for the church, kind of the U.S. church and global church on uh, first how to close down, how to reopen mental mm-hmm. health resources. We just released a mental health handbook uh, this week. We have all kinds of kind of tip sheets of how to do these things. So we still do our, our long-term work, which is kind of around disasters and refugees and um, human trafficking and kind of poverty, like international development. But we've really taken this lens to helping the church uh, during this time of COVID. And so it looks like that will continue. So we'll keep doing that other work, but we'll continue to try to serve uh, church and nonprofits and communities through this uh, time of COVID with things that are research-based and faith-based in this time. And so so definitely put some other uh, projects on pause like everybody else in the yeah. in the world, I, I think, but, but it's been meaningful to be able to kind of try to step in and think, oh, the work that we do can serve in a time such as this too. Well, I'm excited. I'll definitely um, post whatever you send me and kind of have that as a resource yeah. for people as well. Where's anywhere else that people should like go? Um, should they go to your website if they have interest in in kind of how the church can can help during this time and kind of alleviate maybe those doubts that come from from times mm-hmm. of struggle? Yeah, so I think uh, um, uh, kentannan.com is my website. You've mentioned my books. I think where I kind of wrestle with these issues. And then, um, you know, anyone who's interested in graduate study where we're looking at humanitarian issues, but also kind of doing faith formation along the way uh, at Wheaton's Humanitarian and Disaster Leadership Master's program. Mm-hmm. And then um, I think the other one I could do is, um, especially on these issues, is spiritualfirstaidhub.com. And so mm-hmm. this is this place where we've been putting men- different mental health and spiritual health uh, resources for the church and for individuals up. So I think that that kind of ties into what we've been been talking about today. And, and so I appreciate you, Charlotte, like having these these conversations. I think it's super important during this time. I think we're even seeing more indications just even the last few weeks or months. And I think the months ahead that the mental health and which you know includes the spiritual part of who we are. It's just going to keep him facing increased strain in the days ahead. Yeah, that's really true. And and it is kind of knowing how to prepare for it a little bit, even though it came out of kind of felt like it came out of nowhere this year, at least um, we can kind of use this time to prepare because there's going to be things in the future that come up and that are hard to get through, you know, hard to deal with. Um, And I think that that's something that's interesting when I talk to adults who have kind of been through a lot or you know my grandmother who remembers like world war ii being announced on the radio she was talking to me about that and i mean that's 
she's been through these very tumultuous, difficult times, you know, and knows what is on the other end. You know, she knows that this too shall pass. She says that all the time. And so it's true. And we're, but we're going through something that hasn't, people haven't gone through really ever in this kind of way. So Mm -hmm. um, it's important, I think, to, to be equipped spiritually as well and know that that's part of what's, you know, affecting us mentally for sure. Yeah, there's actually this state, uh, my colleague, Jamie Aiton, and I just published an article just a week ago, or a week and a half ago, um, and it's there are these seven stages that, that often happen kind of to people, almost like in a mental health or psychologically after disasters, um, where you have like the you know, like preparation and the initial shock, and then there's kind of this honeymoon stage where you're kind of feeling the adrenaline and people are you know, doing sidewalk chalk and you're, you're like all these mm-hmm. initial things, you know, but then as it, as it goes on, uh, then there's this disillusionment phase that often happens before the reconstruction phase. And so I think we're, we're very much in, I just remind me the way you're describing it. Well, um, that we're in a disillusionment stage or just realizing, well, oh, this has already been hard and it's, it, it's not ending uh, yeah. very soon. Like, and, and, the actual virus, but then it's the economic effects and job loss mm-hmm. and, and all these difficulties that people are going to keep struggling with. Yeah. So, so I think, but it does help to know other people have made it through disasters, your grandma and other people, you know, have made it through and this too shall pass. And then we want to uh, kind of love and help each other in the best ways possible uh, in along the way. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for joining the podcast today. I really appreciate it. And um, I'll be sure to like post all of the the websites and things that you've been talking about as well as those resources. So thank you so much. Yeah, thanks for the conversation. Really enjoyed speaking with you, uh, Charlotte. Well, thank you again to Kent for coming on the show with me and talking about all those really awesome topics. Honestly, they're they're difficult topics to talk about, I think. And especially the stuff about, you know, refugees and people in our community that are hurting because it can be so political. And the political side of it isn't really a bad thing either. I mean, that's an aspect to it. And if you're called into political service, that's another public service. Rather, that's that's kind of a, that's another dimension of this. It doesn't mean that you have to necessarily be a missionary to make an impact. After I stopped recording, Kent and I were talking a little bit off the air. And we were kind of saying how, you know, during a time like this, especially in a situation that we haven't been in before. I mean, yes, there have been pandemics, in the world, but not in like a hundred years and also not to the scale. I mean, this is a global pandemic that obviously, as we know, really was spread through the age of travel and through the age of fast travel, you know, um, close contact with people. And you could be, you know, on the other side of the world within a matter of hours in the same day, you could be on the other side of the world. And that really wasn't a thing before when we had other pandemics um, or epidemics even. And so, it's really affected the entire global community, obviously. And we were kind of talking about how, yes, it has, and it's devastating, but it's it's also just, it's impacted everybody on an individual level in a different way, but we can all help one another still. And actually how helping one another can alleviate some of that burden you might feel on yourself. And how, you know, honestly, it, it is an interesting thing how, how our own problems affect us mentally. And it is literally selfish to think about yourself all the time and your own problems. But I don't mean that in a negative way, like we're being selfish because 
where we have a problem that we have to address or that we have this issue that we need to, you know, that we need to get help for or we need to pray about or this anxiety, right? Anxiety is a whole other issue, but it is literally self-centered to have these things where we're thinking about ourselves. But being self-centered, it does affect you negatively in a mental way, I believe. I believe that helping other people and focusing on something else, right? Focusing on another person and their problems and how you can help them actually will alleviate the burden that might be placed on you, which again is still a kind of selfish way of thinking, I guess, but it's an it's an indirect effect of helping somebody else. And so we were kind of talking about that too and how there are ways always that we can be helping other people, even if it's just reaching out to somebody. And I really liked what Kent said about like the different stages of going through something like this, that right now we're kind of in this disillusionment phase. And he kind of said that the first phase is this, you know, sidewalk chalk writing phase where you're, you know, we can do this is your mentality. And then you're kind of in it for a long time and starts to feel like you might be doubting, right? You might be doubting that that you can get through it, that you're going to get through it, that God has a plan. And you might be asking questions about what is the plan here? Like where when is this gonna end? And so I do think that that was, that was really powerful. That's what stuck out to me the most, I think, from this interview was the idea that that's normal too, okay? That's that disillusionment phase that you might be feeling that is something you're actually not alone in either. And God wants to come alongside you, like Kent was saying, in your suffering. He wants to be with you in it. And he can't be fully with you if you're not being honest about your feeling. And I think that that's a big part of right now is going through this. And it might feel like you're going through it alone. um, Or you might have people or you might be carrying other people's burdens for them. You know, you might know of a friend who they have health problems or they have a family member who's struggling. And that's a whole other thing. You know, that's something where you can help them, but you're also in it with them. And if they are honest with you about how they're struggling, then you, you can't really fully be supporting them in a way. And so um, that's not to say that we have to like share everything with people in order to be honest, but being honest about our struggles is a way we can find community and we can find empathy from other people. And it's the same with God. It's the same with our relationship with God. Being honest with him about when we're in that disillusionment phase, when we're annoyed at him, when we're struggling, saying, why can't this be easy? Why couldn't today have gone the way that I was expecting it to go? That's okay. It's okay to ask those questions. Um, It's also okay to ask those big questions that Kent and I were talking about. The big questions like, why does God allow suffering? Um, and I loved his answer. Honestly, I'm not sure I've really heard that answer before. Maybe I have and I haven't, you know, I wasn't completely, I don't know, able to hear it, I think is the best way to put that. Yes, there's suffering in the world, but God is with us in the suffering. He wants to be. So let him in. Let him be there with you. You know, talk to him and tell him even right now. Think what what's the thing that's like in the back of my mind that's like squeezing the back of my mind? What's like the thing that's like this anxiety in my neck, right? My shoulders, like my back. I mean, I totally, I'm there. I'm there with you. What's the thing, you know? And if it's a person, if it's a situation, if it's in some event or something, what's the actual reason? What's the underlying reason? Maybe somebody was annoying to you at work or school or whatever over Zoom. But 
what's the actual reason that you're upset is kind of where you have to get to it with God. And you have to be honest with him and say, okay, am I actually upset at this person or am I actually kind of upset with God? And that's, that's real. That's a very real thing. And God wants us to be real with him. So thank you so much for joining me today on this podcast. This was, this was encouraging to me. Um, and I think kind of convicting a little bit, honestly, to think about what are the ways we can be helping other people and we can do it remotely, right? Like you can do it remotely right now. A lot of people are struggling financially and I know it's, it's hard to give, but you know, um, there are ways where we can give time or money if you feel called to that. And there are ways that we can encourage one another just over distance as well. Sometimes it's even more meaningful. I feel like to reach out to somebody over a distance, to reach out to someone who's not near you and text them and say, hey, how are you doing? Like, how's your dad doing? Um, how are, are your kids doing? That's a huge deal. And so let's do it. Let's let's be with one another in the suffering, but let's also make sure that um, we invite God in to those times of struggle. So thanks so much. I hope you have a great day. Thanks for listening to Doubting It with Charlotte Pence Bond on the Edify Podcast Network. Tune in next time for another powerful exploration of faith, doubt, and all that's in between. And for more faith-inspiring podcasts, download the Edify Podcast app on the Apple and Google Play stores or at edify.app.